Hello, and welcome to Cross Life Church in El Dorado, Arkansas. We pray that this message from our lead pastor, Chester Passmore, will encourage and challenge you in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at www.crosslifechurcheldo.com. Thank you again for listening. All right, if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. I'll move this over here where everybody can see it good. I'm on this kick lately about Christ and the church, uh, marriage being the revelation of Christ and the church, as, as we find in Ephesians chapter 5. And in Christianity, we have these uh, we have these traditions, right? We have these mindsets of, of, of the past and and these belief systems. And I'm going to share some history. I'm probably not going to preach, preach, preach today. I'm probably going to do a lot more teaching. But there's these mindsets of history, church history. And when I say Golgotha, you think of what? The skull. Right, And the reason most of us have been taught when I say Golgotha, we think of a skull, is I've been to Israel twice and I've stood there in the garden tomb. And if you look upon that hillside, you can kind of make out, especially if they give you the picture to look at and then you look at that, it, it kind of looks like a skull, right? But traditionally, it wasn't called Golgotha, the place of the skull, because the, the hillside looked like a skull. Traditionally... Throughout church history, the thought was the reason that was played called Golgotha, the place of the skull, was because that was where Adam's skull was buried. How many of you have heard that before? It's where Adam's skull was buried, the place of the skull. There's even like folk, I'm going to call it folklore because I'm not sure I believe uh, all this kind of stuff, but there's even this idea that Noah, before the flood, dug up the skull took it with him, and then after the flood, came back and buried it. All that, I'm not telling you I believe or is true. I'm just telling you traditionally some things that have been taught and said. And so if you go from this concept that the place Golgotha was the place of the skull, referring to Adam's skull, believing that that is the same place where Adam was created and the same place where Jesus gave the sacrifice. And, and this sounds like a crazy concept, but this has actually been around for a very, very long time. I've got some tradition. I, how many of y'all love art? Who loves art? How many of you ever been to like a real sure enough art museum? I mean, when uh, Matt and Tiffany forced us to go to London to their wedding and spend lots and lots of money and all kinds of stuff. Uh, we were in London and went to the National Gallery, and it was just mind-blowing, okay, at, at this, this, this beautiful art. And so I want to show you about three pieces of traditional art depicting the crucifixion, okay? Uh, this one here is, is hard to see, but if you look at the bottom, at the, at the base of the cross, and I, I don't know if y'all can see that because of that black bar, but if you look at the bottom, at the base of the cross, there's a little uh, uh, crevice. And inside that crevice, you see like a little ball, something looking inside there. How many of y'all can see that? I can't see that with that picture. Move on to a different picture because it's hard to see in that picture. Okay, so you see there, this, is, uh, this, this painting was painted 
That one we just saw was painted by Ghetto in 13, I don't know if that's how you say his name, Ghetto, <laughs> Guido, God, whatever, uh, in 1310. This painting here is uh, Pavius. I think that's how you say Andreas Pavius, icon of the crucifixion. This is mid-15th century. And as you can see, there's Christ. He's crucified on the cross. And if you, uh, if you could zoom in, I know you can, but if you could zoom in and see this thing closer, there's blood running down the cross. You see there the, uh, somebody with a halo around their head hugging the cross. That's Mary. And then the disciples are down there. But there's blood running all the way down, and it's dripping on this skull in the ground. How many of y'all see that? This goes back to the teaching that this is the same place where Adam was born and the same place that the fall happened, the original garden, and that the blood redeemed, undid, the, the second Adam undid what the first Adam did. Okay, go, go back to, go to the first picture or the, or the, the other picture. Here, the, here's one more. It's hard to see again. Um, no, 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 go back. Yeah, there we go. It's, it's hard to see, but if you look at the very bottom of the cross, you can see a skull. This one, I think, was around 1457 or something. I forgot the guy's name. Uh, but, so this is um, Jer Jerome, who was, who was a scholar back in the, around the 400 era. He believed this right here, that this was the place where Adam was buried, where the fall happened, where Jesus was crucified and his blood ran down the cross, you know, essentially coming upon the skull of Adam and undoing what the first Adam had done. Now, as a side note, I don't like using the phrase second Adam because Jesus is not second, he's last. He's the last Adam. There is no more sacrifice for sin that shall be made. Amen? So the first Adam was created by God, fell, but the last Adam came and he, and he rectified what the first Adam had done. And we all stand here because of what Jesus has done. Somebody say amen. And so there's this concept that I'm going to talk about today, and it's not necessarily about undoing the fall, but it's this concept that what happened in creation and what happened in the cross, there are strong parallels what we see here is a picture that's undoing Genesis chapter 3, the fall. But I want to go one more chapter before the Genesis chapter 2, which is the story when man was created. If you'll begin Genesis chapter 2 with me. And so here we are. We're going to look at, again, this is more of a teaching, but we're going to look at the parallels between creation. Now, my spelling is great. Please tell me that's great. Thank, thank you, Matt. Creatine. And uh, creation in Calvary. Did I spell Calvary right? Did I? Okay, thank okay, you. Y'all don't understand how bad my spelling is. My son is back there running a camera. Can I tell that story real fast? He's back there running a camera. Um, we was on Thanksgiving. Now, he gets honest by me. I love you, Chad. I love you, Chad. He's back there hiding already. He, we stopped, and, I, and I, I've been teaching him how to pump gas, right? So we stopped. This is just a side note in my sermon. Y'all are okay, aren't you? Yeah. We stopped, and, let, and, and he was pumping gas. And so he got all the gas pumped. He handed me back my debit card. And it says, Dad, it, it's... Is this a weird word on the screen? He said, it says he wants to, it wants to know if you want to re recipient. 
<laughs> and I said, what? A receipt? And I said, son, it's receipt. He said, no, dad, there's a P in it. <laughs> he got that from me. <laughs> it's like <laughs> on, the church, on the way to church this morning, we saw a dead possum. He said, oh, possum. How many of y'all say, oh, possum? Yeah, y'all weird, okay? <laughs> he said, a, a de- okay, anyway, so that's my family history of spelling. There we go. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at the, the bullet points between the creation and Calvary. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then God planted a garden. Two central themes. Can y'all read that? Did I spell it right? Even if you don't want to believe that Calvary is the exact location of the Garden of Eden, it's completely fine. The narrative is this. This takes place in the garden. This begins in a garden. If you go throughout Scripture, there are these emphases. Emphasize. Anyway, there's this emphasis on garden experiences throughout the Scripture. Amen? And so what we have here is creation is taking place in a garden. Calvary begins in a garden. Jesus is arrested in a garden And he is taken away because at the garden place, he is submitted. So the Lord God, verse 8, planted a garden in Eden in the east. If you want to believe that the garden is Calvary and the garden is Eden, the same thing, I don't know that I can completely convince you otherwise. You just have to come to that yourself. There he placed the man that he had made. First Adam, and there he placed the man he had made. The second Adam. The first Adam is completely created by God. The second Adam is the only other person that we have an account of that divinity was involved in his creation. God planted a seed inside of Mary, and it is a God child inside of Mary. Amen. God took on flesh. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, let this mind be in you that was in Christ, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form. Slap yourself. Took on the form of us. He took on humanity. It is mind-boggling to me. This Christmas story that we are that we are celebrating right now is just mind-boggling to me. That the God of the universe would put on human flesh and be born in the most frail, fragile, fra- fragile, <laughs> fragile, fragile. I mean, I know. Anybody got that one? Okay. Born in the most fragile sense as a completely, totally uh, uh, not self-sufficient entity as in a baby. 
that the, that the Son of God, that the Creator, uh, the Word that spoke everything into existence, now must by necessary existence nurse at his mother's breast. It's, we, 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 we tell the story and we don't really uh, gaze in wonder at what actually happened. That a God-created man is now coming to resurrect what a God-created man has done. So, he placed the man that he had made. If you remember the timeline I shared last week, if you go back before creation, I said there was a plan and I said there was a purpose. This man was placed by God. But I'm telling you, at Calvary, there was a a God-made man who was just as much placed by God on that hill. Because there was a plan. Oh, that makes me happy. I'm not going to preach. I'm going to teach. Are y'all okay? Verse 9. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Everybody say tree. Trees that were beautiful. Trees uh, that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life. Are y'all okay? Like, y'all aren't not getting, y'all are getting, are you, anybody getting it? Here, we have a couple of trees. Okay? Tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and here, there's a central focus around an, a second tree of life. Cursed is the man who hangs upon the Come on. And so there's a tree that is central to the story. There's trees that are central to the story. And in the first story, the trees were handled inappropriately. And in the second story, the concept of the salvation is how you handled the second tree of life. What do you do with this second tree of life? How do you respond to the second tree of life? One tree was was put in there and said, get away from it. And one tree was planted and say that if he be lifted up, all men would come to it. The second tree of life. Are y'all out there? A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and dividing into four branches. The first is Pishon, the second is the entire land of Havaliah, where the gold is found. The gold that land is exceptionally pure, aromatic resin, onk stone are also found there. The second branch of Gihon, uh, Gihon, Gihon. It's Italian, Gihon. Or that's French, whatever. Flowed from the entire land of Cush. The third branch is, is Tigris, the land of Ashur. The fourth branch is Euphrates. The Lord God placed man. Again, I want you to get this concept that at the creation, God is the one placing the man. And at the cross, God is still the one placing the man. He has a plan. He's putting him where he wants him. He has his tree. He's planted that tree where he wants it. The Lord God formed, excuse me, uh, what verse are we at? 15. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. The Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge. Oh, my Jesus. If you eat of its fruit, you will surely die. On this tree, the command is come and eat. 
I don't, if we were to take communion this morning, it's where as often as you do this, remember my death. For as often as you do this, remember this tree of life and the word is eat my flesh and drink my blood. This tree you don't eat of. This tree you must eat of. Are y'all, are y'all, I mean, I mean, I'm out. Yeah, like the gospel makes me happy. Okay, so this tree you don't eat of. This tree you must eat of. You must remember my death. You must eat my body. You must drink my blood. You must fellowship around this tree of life. Verse 17, verse 18. <laughs> this is amazing. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who was just right for him. Let's read verse 19. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man. I love how Gene Edwards depicts this in his book. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And, he, and the man chose a name for each one. Listen, he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but there was still no helper that was just right for him. It was not just the first Adam's ex, uh, responsibility to give names to animals. This was more than a journey of just naming things. This was an, a, a, a search committee in, G, in the first Adam who was looking for someone or something that was like him, created in his image, that he could counterpart with, that he could have fellowship, that the cure to his loneliness. And he went through every animal on the planet, naming them, calling them lion, tiger, bear, right? And he called them all things. But, but at the end of it, there was no helper to be found. Because it is not good for man to be alone. So there is creation. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. I love this. Was Adam dead? No. He went into a deep sleep. Fast forward. John chapter 11, maybe, there's a story about a man named Lazarus, right? Jesus begins this story by saying, we're going to go see Lazarus, okay? Lazarus has fallen. <laughs> how many of y'all are chasing me right now? How many of y'all are seeing, how many of y'all smelling when I'm stepping in? 
Lazarus has fallen asleep. He refuses to refer to him as dead because he knows the end from the beginning. And he's saying, and the disciples are saying, Lazarus, they get to the tomb. Hey, this guy's dead. He's been dead for a while. He stinks. And Jesus is still of the opinion and, and the fact, rather, this man is just sleeping. God puts Adam into a deep sleep. Jesus, ha <laughs> ha, okay, alone, alone. Why do you write alone about Calvary? Because there was a moment there when the son was separated from his father and the greatest experience of loneliness was felt by the son. This is why I believe that everything was paid for on the cross because even your struggle with loneliness, Jesus has identified with and overcome it on the cross. But there he felt separated from his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so these are two men that are alone. And guess what? It's not good for man to be alone. But, uh, but what's the answer to the aloneness of both of these guys? A bride. <laughs> right? Frustration level at 9.7 right now. <laughs> I, I don't have biblical proof. I don't have biblical proof that Jesus' alone factor was ever rectified before he died. He says at the end, Father, now into, my, into thy hands I commit my spirit. What he's saying is, I trust you with this thing right now. Which is what we do in moments of crisis is we don't feel completely like the, the thing has been fully rectified, but I'm just going to trust you throughout the rest of this process. So I, I wonder if Jesus isn't necessarily have completely feeling that God's reconnected to him or if he isn't just saying, God, I trust you right now, even though I, I feel like we've been separated. Because when Jesus falls into his deep sleep, Both men get cut in their side. <laughs> Bible, you're like really cool. Out of Adam's sleepless state, his side is opened up and the rib is taken out. And he, uh, and he says, let's read it on. The Lord God caused a man to fall in deep sleep while the man was slipped. The Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Uh, and then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Because why? He was on a search and he was on a journey to find a suitable. Right? At last! Ha! Found you! You're not a tiger, you're not a bear, you're not a horse, you're definitely not a cow, okay? You are a woman. You're laughing at me? Okay. And this is what he says, at last, bone from my bone. Flesh from my flesh, she will be called woman because she was taken out of me. 
Verse 24. Verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. Joined. Did I spell that right? I spell it right twice? Okay, good. Two different E's, though. The man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Oh, let me just stop right now. It says in some versions they were naked and they were not afraid. In the very next chapter when they fall and they run into the hiding in, the, in that deeper place of the guard to hide, they don't run because they're afraid. If it is fear, it's fear produced from shame. They were naked, and for the first time after the fall, they feel exposed of their nakedness, and from the shame, they run into a place of hiding. If we talk about Christ in his church, the number one message being preached about the bride of Christ is clothe yourself and start being better. I'm, I forget teaching. It's time to preach, okay? <laughs> Clothe yourself and stop acting so bad. You're nasty. You're gross. You need to be white. No, you're stinky. You're gross. You're disgusting. Be better. Jesus ain't coming until you're better. It is a total message to the bride of shame. But I'm telling you that out of the side of the of the man on a tree came blood and came blood and water that flows that has purified a bride. That I'm telling you right now, we may not be at our best, but we are still without shame because we belong to the Son of Man. We belong to the perfect man. God created man, and he has washed away our shame. He has washed away the reproach. We can stand with confidence in his righteousness that it's not my ability to be clean, but it's what he has done at the cross of Christ that washes me white as snow, and I am righteous because he has made me righteous. There is no shame. Come on. One more passage of scripture and I'm done. Ephesians chapter 5. In light of everything I've told you, listen now to this. Husbands, love your wife. Just as Christ, hang on a second. I said, husbands, love your wife. It says, husbands, love your wives. This is not permission to have multiple wives. <laughs> it's not permission to have multiple wives any more than it's permission, ladies, for you to have multiple husbands. Is either group really that crazy? Okay? I got one. She is enough. Your love is enough. 
for me. I will turn and move on. (laughs) Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify her. (laughs) Sanctify her. How? Sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water Where did water come from? It came from his side. He was pierced in his side. The Bible says that blood and water flowed from the word. What was hanging on that tree? (laughs) The word was hanging on that tree. And it produced this life-giving water. Come unto me and you will drink a water that you will never thirst again. And from him, blood and water flowed. We, we concentrate rightfully so on a cleansing blood. But have we ever stopped to consider that the one thing that might have cleansed us this day along with his blood was that the water of the washing from the source of the word has purified his bride. Y'all out there? Water from his side is a sanctifying act. This is why we do baptism. We are are identifying with the sanctifying act that you have been washed in the water from the Son of God. The Word. He is the Word. Listen to the scripture. I didn't give it to you, Mark. Don't worry. Hebrews 12, 24. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, Calvary, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word. From the word himself came a water that spoke a better word over your circumstance. And all you had to do was receive what he says about you. Be washed in what he says about you. From the word came a water and it washed us. Sprinkled blood and washing water. I don't want to get too out there. But if you, if you have a marriage, you've done God's way. There is water and there is blood because it creates a covenant. He who has an ear, let him hear. He who don't, you're a teenager, you don't need to know. Y'all okay out there? Sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word that he might present her to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blameless. Other words, that she could be naked and unashamed. Are y'all okay? So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. So many times I've thought about that. How do I love my wife as my own body? Actually, my love for her demands that if necessary, this body could die that she could live. So how would I, 
you know, if she's standing out in the middle of the road for some reason, uh, she comes back from neck surgery and, and, and she kind of, you know, loopy as she normally is and she's just walking out to the middle of the road, okay? I'm not going to go, I love my own body, so I'm going to protect my own body. She can, life insurance, right? No. What am I going to do? I'm going to remove her and forsake my own body, which is an act of love. It's selfless. It's giving, right? But that's not, I mean, it's so much deeper than I gave her the betterment of her existence beyond my existence. Husbands, love your wives as their own bodies. Husbands, love your own body. Are y'all here yet? Let me help you then. Who, he who loves his wife loves himself. Y'all here yet? Okay, let, I don't think you are. Let's keep on going. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. The reason... I love her as my own body, as the depiction of Christ in the church. It's because in the same way that Eve came from the man's body, he is loving his own body because she is his body. It is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. This is why I am convinced that Paul is looking back to the creation as he's writing this because he says we are members of his body. We are flesh of his flesh and we are bone of his bones. We are the second Eve if he's the second Adam. Come, huh? No? I mean, really? I mean, I mean, literally, as a church, we are the body of Christ. We were born from his side on a tree in a garden where blood and water flowed. And we are flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones. Verse 31, this is the reason we say. Tell me Paul ain't looking back to Genesis chapter 2. Flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones, this is the reason we say. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined. Where have you heard that before? You heard it when Adam said it in Genesis chapter 2. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She came from me. She shall be called woman. This is the reason. I'm telling you, Paul had a revelation of a great mystery he was talking about marriage he was talking about Christ in the church and his seed for that revelation was found in Genesis chapter 2 at the creation of man and we have so often looked about the creation being Jesus coming and undoing what the fall was but even before we get to the fall we got to understand that Jesus did on the cross is he had a second creation he rebirthed this thing he created again a woman from his side. And she shall be called flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And she shall be without shame and unafraid and bare in the sense of, that we have this relationship where nothing stands between us. She is my body on the earth. 
For this reason, a man, verse 32, this is a great mystery. You're not going to find that phrase, great mystery, other than when talking. You you find lots of mysteries. Paul is big time into mysteries. He talks about a lot of mysteries. But the only time he calls it a great mystery is when he's talking about marriage. And he is referencing Christ and his church. This is why. Amen. Praise God. This is why. Hear me, your marriage is a revelation to a lost and dying world. How do you make this message practical, Chester? You begin to see your marriage not as you see it, but as he sees it. As a great mystery and a demonstration to this world about Christ and his bride. And you love your wife. And wife, you love and respect your husband's. Not because that's old school, but because this is the great mystery. Nobody has a problem in this room if I say church, should we respect our Jesus? Do you? Anybody have a problem with church, we should respect Jesus? Then, then I'm telling you, it, in seed form, it's rebellion that we should have a problem with wives respecting our husbands. Because it's the same thing that churches look to Jesus and say, I give you honor, right? I'm not saying wives, you need to worship your husbands. They're kind of dorks sometimes, amen? And husbands, take note of who amen right there. But what I am saying is your marriage is a picture. So listen to me now. I don't mean to say this to, to, to pick on anybody. Do not treat your marriage flippantly. I think we can do better than that. Do not treat your marriage flippantly. If you're, if you're in a mindset of divorce this morning, my prayer is that the Holy Ghost would give you a bigger revelation of marriage, that you would shove divorce aside and you would say, God, I want to be the demonstration of the cross. I want to be a demonstration of the second creation, the last Adam. I want to love my wife and I want to give my life for her and I want to love her in such a way that people would look at us and say, there must be God involved. Stand up on your feet. I hope that y'all are getting a message that's burning in my heart. That we are a church, but hear me, we are the bride. And that the church was born in a garden. The seed would plant it in a garden, and out of his side, the church of God, the, the body of Christ, was born, sanctified, righteousness imputed. I don't want to look like a good Bible Belt church. I want to look like the bride of Christ on the earth. You hear me? I wish we would stop viewing this thing we do together on Sunday mornings as church activity. 
And I wish we begin to see it as making ourselves ready because in the same spirit that the spirit and the bride say come, there's this bride who is longing for her groom. Like I said last week, we could sing a Christmas song again. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Shall come to us, oh, Israel. It's that same spirit that longed for his appearing at his birth. It's the same spirit inside of us that longs for his appearing and his return. Are you with me? It's the bride of Christ. Understanding that we are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. We are birthed from him. <laughs> Let's not look at ourselves as so dirty. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you, God, that you bled and died on that cross and that you reversed the curse. But beyond that, I thank you for a deeper revelation that it wasn't good in the heart of Father for you to be alone and you use that opportunity of Calvary to create for yourself a bride. And may we honor you as a church, the body of Christ. May we honor you and love you and adore you and respect you. May we be found faithful. May we have our lamp wicks trimmed and be and, and oil inside of our lamps full. May we be ready for your appearing. May we not be lazy and looking to the left or to the right, but may we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and may we be enamored with the groom. May we fully embody the identity of the bride of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody in agreement said. We hope that this message from Cross Life Church was a blessing and encouragement to you. If we can pray for you or help in any way, please let us know by reaching out to us at www.crosslifechurcheldo.com. Thank you again for listening and God bless you.